Hello, Hello yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. I feel like it's been a long time since I've spoken to you or seen your face. Do you want to give us all an update on how you are? Absolutely. Look, it's been a big few weeks. If anyone has tuned in to our latest, most recent episode, and I'm starting to see clearly again, which is nice. It just takes a bit of time for me to be in tune with myself. And I put my automated email response on for five days. I continued my cold showers. I spent five days away camping with my family. And it turns out all you really need is tent poles and a little bit of sunshine (laughs) to make camping successful. But without those things, it's really, it just doesn't really fucking shit. (laughs) But I spent time listening to my thoughts as like they ripped through my brain instead of fighting them. And I surrendered by slowing down and I had belly aching laughs while I was away. And my husband will always give me those if I actually sit down and allow him to do that. But I'm just always so busy all the time. And we've worked out over the past week that I don't slow down. I, I really just need to learn. I didn't, I don't need to change medication. They really feel like I need to learn and understand some techniques that it is not achievable to do what I do every single day, all day, because I do end up going down this burnout phase for like two weeks. And it's because my brain can't function anymore. So mm. I think to understand that is a big thing. However, I've been doing the same thing my whole life. So this is going to take a very long time to, you know, retrain my thoughts. Yeah. And look, I'm I'm ready to to try that. Right now I'm taking one day at a time and I'm taking I'm starting with a really small list a day. I'm trying to remember that the jade who is down is the same jade who is up. And I actually balance myself best when I continue to give myself care and time to listen to my thoughts. And that's a really big thing because for me, whenever I feel overwhelmed, I have this sense of panic that something's not right. And when I walked into my psychologist last week after the camping trip, I said, I'm really tired. And she said, great. And I was like, what? And she's like, that's so great. And I'm like, I'm just so not used to. As in great that what? You've listened to that. Um, she's commended. great that you're tired. Yeah, she's Because commend- she'd fucking love me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired all the time right now. Can she's- I have your psychologist <laughs> number so I can just go to her? I know. Say, I'm tired. But she's commending me because I don't ever see that 
as a positive. So she's what she's yeah. trying to do is change my way of thinking that sometimes not being productive is actually a really positive thing. And hopefully by me doing this every day will give me less darker times in my life, but also remembering even when I'm feeling dark and alone, I'm actually learning something big about myself. And usually my darkest times end up being my greatest achievements. It's just, uh, it's hard to know when you're in the thick of it. So I wrote myself Mm. a letter. I actually did. Cool. And I hope that when I go down that path and if it happens again, that I remind myself, or maybe you guys can remind me that I've wrote myself this letter and it's got a whole lot of tips and me pretty much talking through this whole journey to me and coming out the other side. I don't know if it will work, but it's something, it's a start. So I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone that actually took time to listen and send me a message. Like my inbox is overflowing with love and stories and not just that, but people who couldn't relate to their partners who have gone through a depressive episode and they feel a little bit more clarity and understanding of them. I mean, this is just my story, my journey. Everyone's different, but just know that if I do open, eventually I will, when I do open my inbox and go through everyone, if I don't reply, it's not because I don't care. I absolutely do care. It's just there's no way in hell I can respond yeah. to that many You'll people. End up in I'll be back. I'll be back. So just <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks a lot. Yeah, a big thanks. So, you. did your psychologist just or your psychiatrist like label what had happened, or is that not what's important? They have actually unlabeled. They had a lot of thoughts over this year of thinking what things could be and what they might be. And they've come to the decision that I need a lot of psychological work. Medication isn't really going to do it. It's actually me sort of uh, rewiring my brain Mm. to understand that slowing down and, you know, having a coffee without doing things and like my – my mind always runs a million miles an hour until I burn out. And right now I feel like I've really staggered myself today. I went out, oh, I got a puppy just because why not? Just throw a puppy. Oh, yeah, everyone. So first of all, when she said she was down and that she was going (laughs) camping with her family, I was like, well, either that could go really well or really, (laughs) really badly. And then she gets home from camping and I say, how did you go? How are you feeling? Because she didn't really have reception during the week. And she's going, yeah, I'm feeling, you know, a lot better, like still got ways to go, but on the mend, on I'm picking up a new puppy this afternoon. I thought, (laughs) dear fucking God, help me. What are you doing? So tell the people what, I mean, I'm not a dog person. So to me, like, why would you put another thing on your plate? But Tell us otherwise, please, or I'm coming to retrieve the dog <laughs> and take it away Wait, from you. No. So a few things happened there. I've 
I'm not clucky for children anymore because my husband has had a vasectomy and I don't plan on being pregnant anytime soon. I'm still watching you, Soph, and I'm just wanting to be your support partner, not actually After I tell you about this week, you'll continue just being clucky for dogs and not clucky for children. Well, anyway, it's actually a cute story because there was a single mum and she had two boys and she worked a lot and she... I saw her at the football and basically long story short, she said, I've actually never really had a dog before. It's super overwhelming. I actually can't, I can't actually Mm. take this on. It's too much. I feel so bad. And I said, don't, I've got so much land for that dog to grow up on. Rudy's still a puppy. I actually love that breed of dog. We have trained so many dogs. We understand, we get it. It's a Staffy Cross Bull Mastiff, or it does actually look a little bit like it's got Ridgeback, but honestly, her name's Juno, and she is the most delightful little thing. When she gets up, she basically runs Rudy ragged, and then she passes out, and she has started to pee outside, and she's already sitting. So, and it's all part of us well, being there. Juno, welcome to the Beyond the Bump family. Yeah, it's we'll nice get her to on. have you. She'll have a chat. We'll She'll have a chat. But anyway, long story short, it's been a big week. My psychologist, when I told her that, she was just like, I'm just letting you know that there's a lot of people that love you in the world and you don't need to keep buying puppies and things every time you fall apart. (laughs) Anyway, how are you? Enough about me. Far out. How are you? No, that's okay. We needed an update. Yeah, you did. Um, you know, you had so many people who, whose hearts and were breaking for you and so many people that were either resonating with you on a personal level or had had, as you said, partners. A lot of people saying their parents had gone through this when they were younger. Oh, wow. And they never understood it. Um, and they said how incredible it is that you're explaining it to your girls as you go mm. so they're not left quite literally in the dark about it. So yeah, we needed an update. Um, my week, it's been, there's been highs and lows. The lows are that it's been pretty deflating in terms of my, I guess, hyperemesis with mm. being pregnant. I'm 23-ish weeks pregnant and I have vomited so many times in the past week. No. And it's just become really unpredictable again. Like I, I have never stopped taking medication. The only time I've stopped taking medication is when I've run out of medication and then I have vomited until the pharmacy's opened and got said medication and then been fine. But it seems to be all of a sudden the evenings that are the worst and I'll be fine all day. And then it comes like 4.30ish and I cannot function. I have to go to bed at about six o'clock. I'm vomiting up. It's like I'm sorry if people don't like hearing about vomiting because it's as though like everything I've eaten in the day hasn't been able to like digest Mm. or something and I'm just at this stage where like I'm just feeling like I just want to be able to eat a meal without thinking what the consequence of me putting that in my body is. And I don't mean in terms of like calories or anything. I mean like can I drink this glass of Mm. water safely and it not come up? Like is it a good idea for me to eat this or should I go through drive-thru and get chicken nuggets? 
Like I'm just so fucking over it. Is it common for it to come back? Well, I had it come back with both my others, but it always seemed to be more like reflux related, like reflux would start and then that would tip me off in vomiting. But this this doesn't feel refluxy. It just feels like death. Like, like not as bad as the first trimester, but I think I'm just so in my head because I'm like, this has been going on for so mm. long and I felt really good again and felt a little bit of the normal me coming back. But I feel like I'm back to not enjoying things as much, kind of like being worried about making plans because how am I going to be at that time? Anyway, and then on top of that last Thursday night, Poppy vomited all night with some kind of gastro bug. And then on the weekend we went away to Brisbane and, look, I felt royally shit while we were away and I just thought this was part of my hyperemesis type thing coming back. But I think that in hindsight maybe I underlying had a bit of the gastro that was leading to me vomiting oh, more. No. But on Sunday morning, so Nick and I went to the high of the week is Nick and I went and saw Leon Bridges on Saturday night and it was just so good. He played at the Fortitude Music Hall and it was the best venue. Give us a it was song. just so, so good. Absolutely not. I stayed up till midnight, which was a challenge. My ankles were <laughs> throbbing because I was standing. But the next morning we woke up and we're staying in a nice hotel. Goldie vomited all over the room. She vomited three no. times. Nick had to call down to ask them to get them to take their rug away. But the only positive of the here doing it in a hotel room is you can just call for more towels and I'm like, I'm not the one cleaning the laundry. <laughs> because after having Poffy on the Thursday night, I was like, I'm so overdoing the washing. So anyway, and then, yeah, her and I were definitely both out all day Sunday with it. So there's just been last night I was hugging her and she vomited all down my no. cleavage and it I felt really bad cuz she was crying but Nick and I just turned to one another and we burst into laughter <laughs> because the amount of mm. vomit that has gone down in our house in the past 6 months yeah. is comical. Like someone could fucking drown in it. It is we just looked at each other and we laughed and Goldie was probably like why are you laughing at me? I'm vomiting but you know sometimes as a parent you and when you don't feel like you're catching a break and you just go I've just got to laugh because if someone was watching this holy shit so anyway that's been my week there's been highs and lows I hope that next year for you guys like they've really got it like the whole daycare bugs and illnesses out of their system and yeah we'll just have a newborn like you know (laughs) there'll be no issues we'll be be fresh we'll be feeling great anyway but leading on from this after I got vomited on one of the times I was having a bath with Goldie and this is my rude or fabulous for the week she turned to me and she goes, Mummy, your teeth are gold. So anyway, oh um, safe to say once I'm no longer pregnant and breastfeeding, I'll be getting, getting some teeth, teeth whitening done. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, thanks, you little bitch. That's really what I needed this way. And another rude or fabulous. Actually, I think it's just plain rude. Yumi went up to my sister-in-law and just after my sister-in-law was like, gosh, I'm feeling good. I feel like I've lost some weight. She comes up, she's like, 
auntie, are you pregnant again? She's just like, Jesus Christ. Okay, clearly I haven't lost that much weight. Oh, kids, they will always tell you how it is. Oh, anyway, hit us up in our Facebook group as well and tell us all your rude or fabulouses and highs and lows from your week. There's been some epic conversations going down in there at the moment, people sharing recommendations or what their very honest toddlers have been saying to them too. And also, if you haven't heard, we have an epic newsletter that comes out every single week with so much good stuff. There's like mum hacks. There's what you can wear when you're pregnant. There's good food hacks. There's recommendations coming out of our assholes. It's just <laughs> a really fun way to give you guys a little bit extra without listening to our voices. <laughs> yeah. And we'll link them both in the show notes so you can go directly there. But enough from us. I think that's enough updates. We're going to launch into today's episode. Epinode. Epinode. Oh, you're doing well. This epinode is is about what you put in your vagina to help (laughs) before birth. I can't remember. No, I might be completely wrong. Anyway, moving on. We speak to Moana Hope and Bella Karlstrom. They are a beautiful same-sex couple who have just welcomed their second baby into their family. Bella has given birth to their first child and Moana has given birth to their second. So it was so interesting to hear their different experiences, the pros and cons of that. I always looked at that like, wow, that would be the most efficient way to have a family. But then also I was like, oh, are there also, you know, bits (laughs) of resentment that come in? What happens? So we chat all about it. They are always a breath of fresh air. Oh, they're hilarious. They're real and raw. They are like yin and yang. It is so hilarious to listen to them They bicker on air. Yeah, they they bicker (laughs) on air. It's so good. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoy. Hello, Bella and Mo. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. For those of our listeners who don't know you, are you able to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your beautiful growing family? You go first, babe. Very very gentleman of you. Um, We're married. (laughs) We are married and we have two beautiful babies. Uh, We have a 21-month-old little girl, Sphere, who bell birthed. And we have a 10-week-old Ahi, little guy, our little king, who I birthed. Ten weeks. Yeah. Oh, how ten weeks. Yeah. Did I say ten months? No, no. Ten, ten weeks. Ten yeah, weeks. Ten I'm weeks. losing count on the second one. Yeah. You both have mum brain. <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge us. We cannot wait to dive into this chat because obviously it's a bit more of a unique situation having you both each birthed a child in your family but becoming more and more common so we cannot wait to chat further before we get started take us back take us back to the honeymoon phase when did you guys first meet and how quickly did you kind of decide that you wanted kids and wanted a family together we were robbed at our honeymoon because she left four days after our wedding to go on survivor So that didn't happen until two months after our wedding. And we knew before we even got married that it was going to happen pretty quick by having kids. And I was going to go first because she might still be playing footy. Yeah. And And one of my conditions of her marrying me and me marrying her (laughs) was we would have kids. (laughs) Because I've always wanted kids my whole life. Like I've always been like, I want to have a family and I personally want to birth a child as well. I think if you can and you want to, it's the most amazing, unbelievable 
life-changing experience anyone will ever experience. It's something that I've always wanted to go into. Yeah, we, we both so I, as soon as she said, yeah, I want a family, I was like, okay, well, that's a tick. Because <laughs> if it was a no, I would have probably been like, off you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next. <laughs> so, Bella, what made you choose to go first or both of you? How do you de- decide? Did you flip a coin? No, Mario was on the fence of whether she's going to play more footy or not. So it was kind of a really straightforward question. And I kind of am grateful that I went first because mm. I didn't have to be pregnant with a toddler or mm. having a newborn with a toddler. So I got to like <laughs> be in lockdown, do nothing. Like it was like, you know, contact nap for six months, <laughs> all that stuff. And Mo's like, yeah, he's been down after like one week in the bed. And <laughs> yeah. I Because f- I, I feel like other same-sex couples we've chatted to, often there's one person in the couple that definitely wants to be pregnant and birth more and then the other person who's maybe not as interested. Do you yeah, find that-, that other people you meet share your experience or that you're a bit different (laughs) we've actually never met anyone that's done it the way that we have we do have some friends but one mum has birthed both the kids and the other hasn't really been interested in it too that's okay not like but to be fair like a lot of women don't want to have kids and that's completely Mm. okay and like my best mate is one of those she's like Never want to, don't want it, don't want to experience it. I, I love my kid, kids now. She's got two, but I just something I never want to do, and that's so fine. But like mm. I said, for me, always. And Belle going first, I had to repro- get this reproduced because <laughs> <laughs> she's pointing at Bella as she says that that hideous human next to you. <laughs> I was like, we need to. But then, I, but then she brings out Svea, this unbelievably beautiful child, like mind-blowingly beautiful. My child, I'm pregnant, like whatever's in here needs to compete with that not that it matters it doesn't matter no, it's part yes. of my humor yes okay. <laughs> but how did you come to that decision like how did you decide whose eggs you'd use for mm. which or like take us back to those decisions yeah we never even like kind of thought about like egg transfers and all of that we were just like I'll go first you go second just use the eggs that's in us rather than both of us going through all of that you know procedure which is like full-on because mm. Mo didn't actually have to do IVF she got pregnant on her first IUI whereas I had did two IUIs and had to do a one round of IVF and that can was... you explain both of those procedures like the yeah, difference so an IUI is where you basically have blood tests leading up to your ovulation when you're at peak ovulation you go in you do an ovidrill which is like pumps it all out and then you go and get inseminated with sperm and that's the only like intervention that there is and there's only like a 15% chance of that actually working. So I did wow. two, yeah, I did two of those and then decided like, okay, we just want to make this happen. So we did our, then I did one round of IVF and yeah, it was successful. But the two rounds that were failed destroyed us, to be honest. So we're being really yeah. honest. That was really hard for us back then. I remember we were like going, you know, we're really upset. Cause I think we just went into it and we were just like, yep. You know, we 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 took not the, not the arrogant approach, but just the the excited you just think approach. I'm a healthy young person. Like, of course, I'm mm, going to be in yeah. that fifteen percent. And when it didn't happen, I mean, we decided. Yeah, we're still extremely lucky to have you know gotten pregnant when we did and gone through. It. I know that it's really hard for a lot of women and doing years of IVF. And even after one round, I was like, if this doesn't work and I have to do this again, like that concept, I just couldn't wrap my head around. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be mentally exhausting, but super rewarding at the end. And also at that point, like. Mo hadn't been through any of this stuff. So I didn't have like, she was super supportive and stuff, but I didn't actually have that person to relate to me yet. And I have been so excited and enthusiastic about her giving birth and being pregnant so that she can 
actually see me like for exactly what it was which not many women can say in their relationship so it was absolutely it was a no-brainer I was like you are definitely carrying on it oh and I always wanted to so it was never a question Hmm. so how do you choose a sperm donor oh I'll I'll answer right because it fascinates me personally we we I would never want to see a photo. That's just my choice. I never want to see a photo of the donor. It's just not my thing. A lot of people think that you get a photo or you want to see photos. I don't. And so basically how it works, we did, it, we did it through Monash IVF, who were great. You get like resumes of people. It's like a resume. And on how that resume. How they are. Tick. Yeah. All yeah. of their hat, like what they look like to so their eyes, hair color, heights. Right, all of that, all of their health history, which is pretty amazing, and then all of their family's health history. So, like their mums, grandparents, sisters, brothers, kids, all the health history is there. So you can see, you know, if if it lines up with what you want. And they also have like a really beautiful thing where they put in there why they're donating. Yeah, they ask about five questions with their philosophy on life and why they're donating and what they're interested in. But for us, the the biggest criteria was just health. Like, you know, everything else kind of, and we tried to get the tallest one too. (laughs) (laughs) Because what are your heights? Yeah, well, I'm like 5'9", but my dad and brother are like 6'5". So I was like, we've got to get a tall one. But yeah, no, it was all about health. And that was like, you know, once we found that, the rest was a bonus. And he was really beautiful as to why he wanted to donate and his philosophy and life so really aligned with us. And did you pick the same sperm donor? Yeah, yeah. Same yeah. donor for both. Yeah, there you go. Because I've heard so many differing opinions when people pick sperm donors. Like some women go, oh, I want to pick a sperm donor that sounds like they have similar features to me so then the child just kind of genetically looks like me or they want to, they, they're they really fair and they're like, no, I want a baby that's really tanned <laughs> yeah. or whatever. There's so many things. But, yeah, it sounds like with you guys health was more the priority. Yeah, health. And then we just left the rest up to child. Um, I think that was also the weird thing about being pregnant with Sphere was because I didn't have what the other 50% of the DNA was going to be like to look at. I couldn't really, it was really hard for me to imagine what she was going to be like and her as a child, but then she came out looking like my twin. So it was (laughs) no brainer, yeah. So good. And so tell us a bit about when you started IVF, what what was that like? Obviously, emotionally, you found it tough that the IUI hadn't worked but yeah, what did so you need to do the first one was like oh my god we're getting pregnant this is going to happen and then it didn't happen and the second one was like um kind of felt nothing and then that didn't work and then going into the third one it was like whatever happens happens and for me it was I, I'm like I don't love to put medicines and things in my body and quite like natural in that regard so having to inject myself and you know get all these eggs in a non kind of natural way it mm. just made me feel yuck and I was exhausted and again like really alone like Mo was there but she didn't understand and I don't think I think some women also breeze through IVF and it's not really you know that big a deal but it definitely affected me and I was not myself so I really struggled with that. Yeah I also think that um the first two that we went through we went through this phase of and this is what this is what our choice of how we deal with things. So this is not us telling anyone what they should or shouldn't do. But Belle was just like, okay, like no no glasses of wines, everything's clean. Let's everything we eat has to be clean. Leading into it, like everything was just like altered from your normal everyday life. And then the first IVF when we were just like, you know what, whatever happens happens. That's just the way we live life. Yeah, we so were, we didn't, you know, we didn't stop everything. We're at Mardi Gras, like just before my age. <laughs> 
<laughs> Which is laugh. a completely clean, natural experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I got so, I felt so hot. Like I had literally like one or two drinks and I wanted to puke because the hormones that made me feel so yeah. fucked up. And like, I was just like, no. and I was like, dance with me. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to vomit. <laughs> and what, you were pregnant at that time? No, no, not Without pregnant. knowing. No, 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 no it was no, before no. she was had before the egg. I put back in there. Yeah. yeah. So the eggs were taken yeah. out and then we had to wait no. two weeks for them to mature. <laughs> Something. Not two weeks. If you, yeah. So they get taken out and then they have the sperm and they have to wait a few days to see if they become embryos or not. So it was, it was yeah. then during that period. And then we flew back and then the Monday we did the transfer. Yeah, so funny to we just kind of just decided you know what whatever's going to happen to happen just yeah. to live life like we live pretty clean anyway but like, as in we live a pretty healthy lifestyle and then you know when it happened we were just like when we got the call to say she was pregnant because the way it works is the nurse calls you to tell you Ooh. we were just sitting on the floor expecting the worst and when she was like you're pregnant we were just like both in tears like you know, that's a moment I think oh, I'll remember for the rest of my life. That was the first one I'd ever woken up where I felt a bit nauseous and I was like, oh, don't think about it. And then so tell us a bit about your pregnancy. So whew, I feel like it was a long time ago. Um, she, I was pretty nauseous and the thing that I really suffered with the most was migraines. My first trimester, I was getting like three in a week and it was just debilitating. Ugh. And then I got really bad pelvic girdle pain just from like week 12. So that was like really crap. And also it was when the pandemic started and lockdown had happened. So I was like, oh, I don't get to go out and be this woman in, in the world and be pregnant and get all that beautiful energy from everyone. I'm literally like yeah. waking up, sitting at home, puzzling all day, like nothing to take my mind off what I was feeling or going through. So I actually like halfway through my mental health was pretty shit. And I was like, just, you know, sad. And I mean, looking back, it was all right. But in the moment, I, I didn't love, love being pregnant. Like knowing that she was the baby inside of me now, I'm fond of it. But the experience, I wasn't like, woohoo. And then, you know, everything opened up with about three weeks of pregnancy left. So that was really beautiful. It was summer. I got to like, you know. Have my feel good well. <laughs> yeah I get that like you do you mm. look forward to ha- like swanning about with your bump and yeah. when you're inside in a tracksuit all day you kind of ripped do off. feel ripped off yeah totally ripped off and I think I really struggled because I was like grateful that I was pregnant but I'm loving the experience but then once I realized that it was totally normal for me to have space for both of those emotions everything felt a lot better I think a lot of women are like you know, it's so difficult to go through pregnancy, but then you have to, you know, show that you're super grateful and like act like you're all fine with it. But it's like, it's hard. It's really it's hard. so hard. And yeah. how did you, you know, you might be a bigger person than I am, but you know, I'm currently pregnant and I had a really rough first trimester. Yeah. And I, I feel like feelings of resentment do kind of creep. I mean, they cre- crept in towards my husband because I was kind of like, he was doing so much. He was doing yeah. everything he possibly could in looking after the other two kids. But I was also like, oh my gosh, like, why do I have to feel like this to give us a child? Yeah. But, you know, Mo hadn't been through it yet and your partner literally can do it. So that's exactly why I can relate to what you're saying. Yeah. Did those feelings of resentment creep in? It wasn't so much, I wish that you were doing this. It was like, I wish that you you would understand what this feels like. Because I mean, like, you know, I was still feeling nauseous at 14 weeks and I was like, oh, that shit's supposed to be. Oh, no, no, let me tell that story. She she said to me at 14 weeks, she was like, oh, I'm still sick. I'm still nauseous. And like I made, anybody out there that's a partner of a pregnant woman, do not make this mistake. (laughs) I make this mistake by going, it can't still be happening. (laughs) It's 14 (laughs) weeks. Yeah. I was like, it's 
14 weeks can't still be happening. And it's just nauseousness. Come on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I've said those things, right? But don't judge me. <laughs> no, no judgment story. because you learned. Because <laughs> yeah, in my pregnancy, I had the, I know we'll talk about mine later, but I had the worst first trimester and mine went to 15 weeks. So I think that was my karma bus, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I turned to her and I was like, when I was going through my peak of my sickness, I was like, I'm so sorry. And that is the absolute beauty of both of you experiencing pregnancy and birth. Like you guys can sit there. That That is one of the most, you know, private, beautiful moments of mm. someone's life and both of you are experiencing and sharing those memories. And, I, oh, my God, at least you could have sat there, Bella, and gone, oh, you know what, your time will come and you yeah. will feel that and you yeah, will well, get but it. But you, can also, you can also know exactly what helps. And, but I did see a couple on Instagram the other day and they were pregnant at the same time and oh, have recently no, no. Give it, given birth. I think one of the babies came late and one of the babies came early and so they ended up giving birth like a week apart. But I was like, imagine if one of you had hyperemesis and one of you was a pregnancy unicorn. Oh. <laughs> I think you'd, you'd have to suffocate yeah. them with a pillow. No, you couldn't. You yeah. Absolutely no judgment, but like definitely can't see myself. It'd be like having twins. twins. It'd be like having twins, right? Because yeah. two newborns. I just couldn't imagine they hadn't gone through, you know, postpartum, not having no. support. Uh, support. Like well, just- that, that, that was, I was just going to say with the whole pregnancy situation, the, the biggest thing for me was like, yes, pregnancy is hard, birth is hard, but it's that month six weeks after giving birth that nobody prepares you for I felt like I was insane and I was never going to be myself again and that's when I felt the most alone and I was just like Mo you know so excited to have this baby to show off to the world and I was like don't come into my house don't touch Mm. my baby don't put me under any pressure I had retained placenta until I was like eight weeks postpartum and yeah, I, that was my biggest light bulb moment because I knew th- how difficult that was going to be for Mo as well going through that. And to be able to be your support person has been. I do remember that after she gave birth, like I was like, I'm going to let my friends are going to come over. And she was like, no one's coming over. And I was like, what's wrong with you? We need to introduce fear to everybody. Like, I was just like, you know, here's our baby. Everyone come meet it. And she was like, anyone comes to my house and I'm like, them. Right. And I just didn't understand it. Like I generally, honestly, being real honest, I just thought, what's wrong with her? Like I was sat calling my best friend. I was like, did this happen to you? Like what's wrong with her? She doesn't want to show speed off. Like is she upset about it? And, and I once I had, once, yeah, let me finish. Sorry. Once I had Ahi and I went through that, I was like, again, I am sorry. Holy shit. Like anyone comes in my house and I'm a cut them because I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to move. I don't want anyone to ask me how long, you know, if they can hold the baby. I just want everyone to stay away. Yeah. So it's, again, and I want to say this in the most polite way, if you're the partner of somebody that's giving birth or will give birth or is going to try and give birth and you're going to have a baby and you think you know what they're going through, you've got no idea, absolutely no idea. Like I thought I knew, like even going into labor, I thought I knew. I had no bloody idea at all about any of it. You can't even understand what, you know, the first trimester feels like unless you experience it. If you can't, if you don't experience it, you can't have an opinion on it because it's not just nausea. It's actually like for me, I felt like my worst hangovers combined into one. That's what mine felt like. So both of you, because you know the experiences, what advice would you give a partner that won't experience birth or pregnancy? For me, 
I would really encourage them to be so patient and so gentle, like zero pressure for anything. And, you know, try your hardest to put yourself in their shoes and then take all that away and know that you actually can never really do that. So the one thing that I sought the most comfort in was actually reaching out to other mums. Like my sister-in-law who you met was four months ahead of me through the whole process. So to me, like we were closer and understanding Mm. each other more than what Mo put at the time. And, you know, just make them feel like what they're going through is completely normal and absolutely zero pressure to do anything (laughs) and just listen. And Bella, I remember last time we spoke to you on the Beyond Play podcast, you were talking about your co-sleeping arrangements. How has that gone now that Sphere, is she two years old now? Like what, what's the progression of that? Still pretty much the same. Like I'm still breastfeeding all night long. <laughs> so when before he came along, we had a king mattress and a king single all put together for one giant bed. Sierra and I are on the king. I was pregnant on the single. And our plan is to continue to co-sleep as a family. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I don't even know why we brought a four-bedroom house. We should have just bought a one-bedroom oh. house because we're all in the same bed eventually, and three rooms are getting cobwebs. Eventually... <laughs> they will go into their own rooms when they want but also like I love falling asleep with her waking up cuddles all night like it's my favorite thing you're happy yeah and so right now Mo is in what we call our baby room with Ahi and sleeping with him and I'm with Sphere just because he needs nappy change and things during the night which you know you can't really do in the pitch black and not make noise (laughs) so until he is kind of not needing a nappy change and Mo can just roll over and feed during the night and then we're gonna I'm going to upgrade the king single to a queen mattress and have a king. Ooh, oh, my gosh. So good. <laughs> we bought a house with the longest room. Yeah. So that it will work. <laughs> my kids are four and a half and two and a half, and most most nights I end up in a bed with Poppy and yeah. Nick ends up in a bed Nick with Goldie. And we wonder why we have all these bedrooms. Like we just went on holidays and all of us slept in the same room and I swear we all got the best so sleep easy. we've had in such a long It wasn't particularly romantic, but, you know, I'm pregnant anyway, so yeah, he was exactly. probably going to get the same amount if we were in <laughs> our own room anyway. But we all got the best sleep we'd got in forever. And I was, yeah. I was like, why do we have a four bedroom house? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually love it. I thought when I had him, I'd be scared that I'd roll on him and all of that. But um, Bal kept saying to me, this is thing that switches on when you give birth and you would never, you were always, as soon as you hear him, you awake up. I know where he is. And as soon as she was born, I didn't even think about it. It was such an instinctual thing. And I, at the start, we put him in the, uh, what, do we, what do you call it? We put him in a swaddle and we put him in his own crib. And he was, he's just such a strong baby. He rolled onto his side on night one in a swaddle. Oh, my God. So dangerous. I got a photo of it. So dangerous. I'm a pediatrician and he was like, that's unbelievably unbelievable and dangerous. So from that moment, I was just like, no swaddling. Well, he hated it. As um, well. Yeah, he really hated birth, it. Like but, I tried to swaddle him, he was like, nah. And I was like, well, you know, yeah. some babies do and some babies don't. So I brought him into the bed, and now he's so sweet. All he wants to do is spoon. That's mm-hmm. it. So I just spoon him all night. So if, if he wakes up and I'm not spooning him, he'll either swing his arm to punch me, which is so funny. He doesn't really cry. He just swings his arm to punch me, and as soon as I wake up I'll roll over and I'll cuddle him and he goes straight back to sleep like he's just the sweetest little guy and so Mo moving on to your story do you think having seen Bella go through it and especially I think what seeing her go through 
birth, were you more excited or more hesitant? Yeah. So prior to me seeing power give birth, I said when I go through birth, right, when I and I go through labor, the first contraction hits, give me the epidural. <laughs> that was my that was my thing. And then watching Bao go through hers and being there for Bao, she completely naturally inspired me. I was just like, this is unbelievable. The fact that, you know, this woman is pushing through what looks like, which again, I thought I knew what it was, had no <laughs> idea, the most excruciating pain I could ever see someone go through. And to watch her go through that and push through it. And regardless whether you choose to take pain relief or not, you're unbelievably amazing, regardless what you choose. She didn't take any, which was more mind-blowing for me now that I've even gone through it. I was just like, once she gave birth, I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. I'm not going to ask the every job straight away. I'm awake. <laughs> and I'm going to give it a go. And I think it just inspired me. Like, it just made me super excited, but mostly inspired and super proud of her, of course, to go through it. I like I really wanted to experience it my whole life and, and I got to. But watching her go through it up, up close and personal was, was a really nice moment. Like I got to take Spear out, which was I wanted to be able to take her out and put her onto Bell's chest. Mm. I really wanted that moment. So it's like I got to bring her into the world type thing. I get to catch it. It's just shut out. Lucky you've got a good catch. I know, that's right. <laughs> and how did you know and when did you know that you were ready to start trying for another baby? We always wanted to keep them close. So we wanted them to be within two years of each other so that they could grow up together, be best friends, and that's just what we wanted. And we thought, you know what, Let's be real. We're going to have babies. We're not going to sleep the same every day, right? So let's do the tough nights over five to seven years rather than over 10 to 15 years. <laughs> because if you have a, like for us, this is what we thought, regardless of what you think is your choice and everyone's right in their own way. But we thought if we have a baby now and we have another one in five years, by then we're going to get used to sleeping again. Then we have to get used to unsleeping again. So we're in the trenches. We might as well stay in the trenches. And yeah. So keeping them close and just and, and creating our family to be, you know. Yeah, and also like when you start getting pregnant, you never know how long it's going to take. And yeah. Loving the uniform that she is, that got pregnant on the first time. I was kind of like, oh, am I? It's not a year yet. So how was that experience? me yeah so because obviously for the first time for Bella going through that process it didn't happen mm. twice so when you went through it how was that for you like first instinct answer lonely because it was through COVID so I had to go through everything myself yeah I couldn't go or any of the appointments so because everything was locked down can't go can't let anyone in the hospital unless you're having a procedure so it was a it was a lonely experience I thought that I would have Belle there to because I remember through every one of her appointments I was there and I was like getting excited I remember when she had the insemination I was just sitting there swimming singing just keep swimming <laughs> <laughs> and I and I wanted that you know I wanted those moments and I didn't have those so even the insemination I was by myself and I was like this is great I'm having, you know, I mean, I'm in a room full of people. Off we go. On flowers, on FaceTime. Yeah, yeah. So it was lonely, but the experience itself, like my mum is hyper fertile. It's a thing. It's where she, you, you know, you just have, you just have kids at a flick of a switch apparently. And I was like, if I'm going to inherit anything from my <laughs> mum, hopefully it's that. <laughs> hopefully I've inherited that so that, you know, I, I'm able to go because I watched mental strain that takes on somebody when they're not successful. But I kind of just went into an open mind, like whatever it took I was going to do because I really wanted to have a baby and and be pregnant and, and contribute as well, birthwise family. So I was just open to whatever it was going to take. We'll just do it. 
And I wasn't sure how long it was going to take. And so when we went on to all the appointments and when, when I went to insemination, it's weird. And Val can back me on this, but after insemination, I came back to the house. It was it was grand final day, by the way. I got inseminated on grand final day. I was like, See, wow. I don't remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she would. Yeah. Because I was just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to be inseminated, but at the same time, can't have a beer. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just felt like, like I generally felt like, yep. That works. Like I know it's weird, and a lot of people will probably go, "Yeah, right." But I said to Val, "I just have a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Like I generally have a good feeling." It was a little bit easier the two week wait this time because we already had a baby and we were just busy. Like that's the yeah. whole thing. Like staying busy during that two weeks is like really difficult. Yeah. So it flew by for me. Like I know it would have been longer for you, but yeah. we were busy with Sphere and because it's it's all a big lead up, right? So. First, you got to do all these blood tests every day to see when you're ovulating. So you got to do a blood test, wait for a call. No, do a blood test the next day, wait for a call. No, and it's just you just keep doing it, and you're just like, you know, what if I get, what if I ovulate on the weekend, and then they miss it because you can't do blood tests. So a lot of moving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So everything's time based. So by the time you get to waiting, it's just like you can go insane almost waiting to find out and you're also premenstrual because it's like right two weeks before your period mm-hmm. so every symptom could be you know your period or it could be your pregnancy Fully. totally and there's so much overlap yeah. oh. hey? and you're like oh my god am yes. I about to get my period yeah. or but how incredible and I know we've said this so many times I mean it seems like a waste that you couldn't go to the appointments yeah. with her because one of the greatest advantages is the empathy and understanding mm-hmm. you two must have for one another but how cool like it's pretty cool that you've both been through that two-week wait because, you know, a lot of women who have never done IUI or IVF can't even understand yeah, no. what is meant no. by the two-week wait. So how amazing that you guys can both understand that. Yeah, it was really special. Like we didn't, we did so many pregnancy tests on my IUIs and we were just like, no, nah, not doing it with yeah. Mo's. And we kind of sailed through it, which yeah. is really good. It was well, yeah. a lot more chill. Yeah, and we also, it wasn't our first baby, so we had that reassurance that we already got a baby. So it was a much more relaxing okay. yeah. experience, apart from the fact that Steve was going through the worst teething for four months of just no sleep. It was horrendous. And I was like, cut it off and yeah well the day we found out we we're pregnant with the third we just had two weeks of both of the girls having oh. croup and yeah we hadn't slept for two I mean two weeks is not four months but we no, were just like yeah oh fuck are we doing this <laughs> like are we really <laughs> doing this again this. Yeah. yeah yeah so and then Mo what was your pregnancy like the, the first trimester was hard like during the first trimester I was just like no nah, never doing this again ever this is <laughs> full on like I genuinely was just like I'm excited that you're in me but I am not happy about the process yeah. yeah and then once I got to 15 weeks and it stopped I just loved it I absolutely loved it I loved every moment of it I embraced everything like it wasn't like 100% like I had my you know I had my issues like I got really bad sore pelvic floor like I couldn't run anymore I couldn't walk long distance because I'd be in so much pain I had my times of sickness and and all of that stuff lightheadedness had my few trips to the hospital to check things but I just embraced those because that's just part of it and I just loved it like I genuinely loved being pregnant and after I had him I'm saying this recently is I missed it like I miss having you've been there but I love having you in my hands but I miss it and it's it's crazy that everyone like everyone always goes to pregnancy the way I've always been around as everyone just wants to talk about the first trimester and then birth nobody wants to talk about the in-between 
you know, 30 weeks that happens in between, which are also exhausting on, on, on a woman, especially like for me, like working full time, all those things. I don't know how women work full time and are pregnant and still uh, go to work with just an amount of annual leave days. Surely women should have an additional five annual leave days or something throughout their pregnancy yeah. because it's, there are days where you just can't control it. You wake up and you're sick or, you know, I just got more than I can these days, but I just don't know how women do it. Yeah, and there's so much emphasis, I think, returning to work and, you know, how to juggle motherhood and working, which are all extremely important Mm -hmm. conversations, but there's very little conversation around how do you attend work while you're literally feeling god-awful a lot of the time not telling anyone that you're pregnant mm. and using up your annual your uh sick days very very quickly so yeah. yeah it's super tough and also returning to work after you give birth like I'm taking my full 20 weeks maternity leave I could not I'm like I am I'm generally said about a couple of days ago I'm getting anxiety about going to work because I don't want to leave him yeah. So I don't know, like some women, I'm, I, I wouldn't say unlucky because I don't want to say other women are unlucky, but the women who don't have a choice, who have to just put their kid in daycare after four weeks because they can't afford not to. I don't know how they do that because for me that would be yeah. really tough. And no woman I think should have to do that. You know, no. if you choose to do that, that's fantastic, but that should never be forced on anyone. Exactly. So, Mo, ha- how was your birth? Um, traumatic. My birth was traumatic. And I, like I've done a lot of work um, postpartum with my psychiatrist, so I can say that without having to think about it. But amazing because it gave me another greatest gift of life in the ER here. And I'm, I'm so, you know, I'd say traumatic, but I'd do it a hundred times again if it gave me him. But it was really full on. Like I ended up getting induced. Is that what you say? Yeah, ended up getting induced, and it was because I was 31, 41 weeks and zero dilation, nothing, not even a sign of dilation, no mucus plug, no nothing. And so I just made the decision. I love our obstetrician. I trust her with my life. And I just said to her, whatever's best for him and for me, we do. I don't care what it is. And so we went in at 41 weeks to get induced and I think the night before, is not before, at about 6 o'clock, you stay in hospital for the night and they put this cream inside you where it's supposed to help you dilate, soften the cervix. And bowel didn't come in because it wasn't up. Our obstetrician was like, you've got zero dilation. I don't think it's going to work. Some women have put them straight into labour, some, you know, a little bit of dilation. I've never left CEO during the night at that point either. That was the only time I've ever been away was during the night of your labour. So I stayed with her. So we decided until better bowel stays there. And if I somehow go into labour, she'll just come straight in. So... Put it in, nothing happened. It woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I was having cramps. And I was like, mm, maybe it's in my head. Maybe I'm just thinking that I'm having cramps. Like it can't be, you know, it can't be. So I went back to sleep and I got up at 5 30 and those cramps were still happening. And I was like, maybe I'm in labor. So I called the nurse in and I had other nurse and we went to go to the toilet pee and I got up and I just had like watery blood leaking. And she was like, yep, that's, that's labor signs. You're, you're in labor. And I was like, holy shit, let's go. The thing is, for all 41 weeks, I had all these preconceived ideas of how, you know, I was going to be walking around the house and my water will break. I was going to wake up during the night and I'm going to be in labor. But this was the complete opposite of anything I'd ever imagined for 41 weeks. So I called Bow and I'm like, I'm in labor, get here now. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and then um, my obstetrician come, comes in at about seven and she broke my waters. And then it just became 
a waiting game, waiting for the for the little guy. So I pretty much started labor about 4 a.m. And I didn't end up having Ahi for 25 hours later. So Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was in there. We were walking around the hospital. It was okay. I was walking around. I did that again. The thing I shouldn't do was walking around and I was like, you know, the pain was fine. I was like, you know what, this pain's fine. I don't even know what the problem is. Why everyone makes a big deal about it? It's fine. I can handle this. <laughs> You're all horses. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why you complain during your labor. This is fine. And then as time went past, I was like, it's getting worse. <laughs> it's getting much, much worse. <laughs> and they got to the point where it was two o'clock in the afternoon and I was just like in the most excruciating pain, one that I will not even try to explain to you because unless you've given birth, you'll have no idea what it feels like. And it is the worst pain I've ever experienced. I don't want to turn women off having babies because it, it gives you the greatest gift in life. So I don't want to make it sound daunting, but it was full on. So actually every drill, they came and gave me that. So then I was like, hey, the only thing about the jewel which I was like bummed about was you're bound to the bed. Yeah. So I was like, oh. So I was like, hey, because it was the, around this time, once everything settled down and the pain stopped, the footy was on and I started watching the footy. <laughs> I watched the Melbourne Brisbane. Oh, you were ready for a yeah. rest. I was like, like, I'll go to bed, wake yeah. me up when you're 10 minutes. I was minutes. like, <laughs> I was on, um, it's 8 o'clock. I think the Friday night, 8 o'clock, I think the footy's on. Do you want to put it on for me? You sleep and I watch the footy. It was. So I was watching the footy, but then throughout watching the footy, all of a sudden, I, and I was asleep. I just started feeling this pain again. I was like, why am I having pain? I should be numb. It went from zero to 100. The epidural stopped working. And I was like, oh, oh no. like, I was just like, <laughs> oh, I was like, they'll get up, help me. I was just like screaming. They'll like get the anesthetist. Is that what he is? And he took so long, right? <laughs> Everyone says yeah. this. Like 45 like minutes. Days, right? Years. But I was like, is this guy honestly, is he honestly, is he walking here from China? Be honest, because that's what it feels <laughs> like. He's forever. And he finally came back and they had to fix it, right? So they, he fixed it, turned it back on, and then I got back to normal. And I was like, okay, great, no pain, thank you. And then they were, they checked at 10 o'clock and I was seven centimeters dilated. And then they were like, we'll check again at two. And I was like, sweet. So everything was okay. And then around about one, it stopped working again. So I went from zero to a hundred. And I'm like, I'm going to punch him if he comes in here. I'm going to, I'm going to hurt him. I don't want to hurt him. And so they brought, they brought him back in and I had a look and they're like, do any way we can fix it if we take that one out and put a new one in? I was like, you got a good dentist because <laughs> you're going to need him if you keep saying stuff like that to me because yeah. I'm going I'm to lose my shit. Like you're not taking out something out of my back and putting a new one in because it's not working. And how many how many centimetres were you well, at this I'll, stage? I'll get to that now because once he fixed it and I was okay, I, I noticed that the nurses were over at the machine looking at stuff. And, and it stopped working as well, so it was just printing the contractions like manually, like yeah. it wasn't on the screen. So, the, you know, <laughs> the machine that's monitoring loves, they were both over there, like the senior midwife and the midwife were looking at it. It was printing paperwork and I'm, I was out of it by the stage. Hey? I was in and out of consciousness. I was freezing cold. I had about eight blankets on me. I started to get a fever as well. And so the tiniest part of me realised that what they're doing was abnormal. The rest of me was just like, I need to sleep. And then she checked me and I was fully dilated. And like, we're going to call your obstetrician. She's going to come straight in. So they called the obstetrician who I love and she was on her way in. And they're like, you know what? We're not going to wait for the obstetrician. We just need you to push right now. I was like, that's really odd because the obstetrician, that's the obstetrician's job. It's not your job. Why are you making me push? 
not that midwives don't jobs not to, you know, deliver babies. I just, in my mind, 41 weeks, I'd pictured my obstetrician there delivering this, this baby. So I was just like, no, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. So it was really odd for me. And we, I just started pushing. And again, I was in and out. Bella kept like having to be like, come on, Mo, it's time to push. I remember Bella talking me through it because because I did mature, everything was numb. So I didn't know when I was pushing, yeah. when I was pushing, when I wasn't pushing, if it was working, wasn't working. So I just had to listen to Bella. I just kept trying to concentrate on Bella's voice. And then obstetrician came in and she got the suction. The, what is it called? Yeah, tried to vacuum them Yeah, out. tried to vacuum them out. One, one shot didn't work. And then she just turned to me and she goes, I promised you I'd do everything I can to make sure that you and the baby's safe. And what I need to do right now is get him out really quick. Um, so I'm going to have to do an episiotomy and forceps. And it was within like, felt within within minutes of her being there that that was told to me. And I'd only been pushing for like, it felt like only five minutes, right? And I, again, envisioned pushing for hours, not that quick. And so I was just like, I don't care if you cut my body in half. If that's what you need to do, mm. do it, right? Because that's what you would do, like, to, to, for the baby to be safe. And, again, I just kept trying to listen to Val's voice when she was saying to push and when not to push. And he came out after, she got him out after two pushes. And, you know, when they take the baby out and they put it on a chest and then they wait for it to get its first breath and stuff, I was just like, it's too floppy. Like, in my mind, it was too floppy. Yeah. But you know how they wait? And that's a normal process. Yeah. And then our obstetrician was like, okay, we're going to go. And they took him away because he wasn't breathing and he didn't start breathing. So here I am up on stirrups, butt naked, cut, blood everywhere, looking over at Bell. Bell's crying, looking over Ahi. They've done a met call, trying to get him breathing, done a second met call. I've got 15 people coming in this room with me in the most vulnerable position, but I didn't care, did not care because all I cared about was him. Didn't know what was going on. No one told me what was going on, which is fine. I understand that they don't do that because I don't want to freak out the mum. Our obstetrician, again, was great. She just stood with me the whole time. And our pediatrician, Golly, was on his way in, and I trust Golly. So I was like, he needs to hurry up. And so they had people working on him, and it took a couple of minutes, like a minute, two minutes for me, felt like a lifetime. And watching oh, Val cry, I was just like, what's going on? Why is she crying? It's not happy tears. That looks like sad tears. And I just was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's happening. And then when they got him breathing and they brought him back to me, golly, hadn't come yet. And I'm like, I don't feel comfortable until somebody checks him that I that I know that I can trust. And it, not that I don't trust him, but you know what I mean. I've created that relationship. So golly came, checked him, and said he's okay. And then I breathed, and I was like, oh, I can't do this. I can't. I don't. I said to Belle, I want you to take him. I, I again for 41 weeks envisioned that moment. I'd have my son on my chest where I can have that beautiful moment have him on the boob, the cuddles, the moments I watch Belle have, I envisioned myself having. I just, it was so much for me. I was just like, you need to take him, put him on your chest, make sure he feels loved and just leave me. And I just wanted to be away from everyone. And I took myself off to the shower. They were like, you can't walk for a couple of hours because you you had a, everybody was like, I don't give a shit. I'm like, sorry, don't give a shit. Just take this off and leave me alone. And I took myself into the shower, sat on the, in the shower and just was there for like, you know, 15, half an hour, just letting water run on me. And then when I came out, I was like, okay, I'm ready for him. And I just think it was just, it was just such, it went from zero to a hundred. And the reason why it all went zero to a hundred was because his heart started, heart rate started dropping. And because the machine stopped working, they didn't know. Oh my gosh. So they didn't know. And then they got it at the, you know, I guess a low time. And then they started, you know, kicking into emergency gear. And I was just like, 
What if they can pick up on that machine not, not working? You know, there were so many what ifs for me that it was too much. And that was that was my experience of it all. And I'm sure Val will tell a different story. But yeah, for me, that's why I think it was it was traumatic for me. Do you think also having like that expect like everyone has a idea of how their birth will yeah. go and because you had this image of how it would mm, look 100%. and it didn't look like that like is there any advice that you could give to women that are going to go into labor and birth about their expectations of delivery to be honest I actually went into the birth with no expectations right because I promised myself that whatever's going to happen Jackie's going to make sure that he's safe and I'll just do whatever's required of me. It's going to be okay. I think it, it was the scare factor for me. It was the scary, scary moment that really got me because I was okay the whole way through. I was like, yep, got too much, took the OP. Yeah, lady, they watched the footy. How fun is that? Waited for him. It was the scare factor that I could have lost him factor. You know, I might have not have had the guy, this guy. I did go, like, and I'm sure, you know, I'm not sure you may do the same thing, but for 41 weeks, I generally would lay in bed at night thinking about the moment I got to meet him. Mm. That was, you know, what would it be like? Do I, am I going to cuddle him? Do I kiss him on the head? Is, you know, how's that moment going to look? And I had all of those preconceived ideas. And I think that's the only preconceived idea I had. But I think for me, the trauma side of it was, was the almost, you know, not having him part, which was, which was really hard. And how have you, like what methods can you do to work through that mm. trauma? Like I think a lot of women may not realise they've gone through a traumatic birth or may not realise the effect that's had on them or just assumed, oh, well, that's just what you go through when you give birth. Like wh- what's made a difference to you since then to kind of be able to work through that? To be honest, as soon as I had, as soon as we got home, I could tell I was in a bad place mentally. Like night one, I was crying because, oh, you know, I think about be separate because I had to go to yeah. Sphere even after my giving birth. I had to then leave and go see Sphere because mm-hmm. she had I hadn't been with her during the night and I'm still breastfeeding. Yeah. But I think Mo has had struggles with mental health like her whole life. And so there was something that we were really aware of, um, even without a traumatic birth, to have contingency plans in place and support for her because I knew that I would even though I've been through it wouldn't be able to be enough for her and for someone who hadn't suffered from mental health during their life I still had psychiatrist appointments booked in for post-birth to know that I would need that extra support so I think to, to give women advice on on how to deal with a traumatic birth is to make sure that you've got the support before you're even mm. in that situation because sometimes when you are in the pits of it you can't see a way out you don't want help you, you you come into a shell so I think having all of that ready to go and you know you might wake up and be like oh there's a parent's appointment oh I can't be bothered doing it and then once you're in it you're like wow I actually really need this so I think having a professional there ready to help you through it and, and then you can do that also with your partner so that your partner can understand hearing it from a professional of where they need to be and understand your partner a little bit more. I think it's really important. Yeah, for me personally, I I see a psychiatrist once a month, my psychiatrist I have for a while and as soon as I knew I wasn't okay, I just called her and I was like, I need to see you. So I've seen her every week since then mm. just because I wanted to offload, talk, talk through things talk through that whole process and what it meant and, and all of that. And I think for me, it was like, that's a no, like straight up, that's the one thing I would always do is, is talk to my person or talk to the person who, who I deal with. And, and that's okay. Like, and I, I think that every woman might feel this way, but I just wanted to know that it was normal. 
what I was feeling was normal and what I was going through was normal. And, and, you know, it, it, it wasn't odd or I wasn't doing anything wrong. Like I was crying because I couldn't remember the last time I fed him. So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a bad mum. I'm a really bad mum. I don't know the last time he ate. This is the part where I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to be there for her for that because, like, yeah. that I can relate to. Like, you cannot believe. Just the crying shape for two weeks. Yeah. I, like, I it's so normal what you're feeling, yeah. everything. I think it's really important for you guys to share those tips for women that have or are having multiple children. I had my third child. I gave birth and I, like an hour later, I felt really off and I went to the toilet and I felt myself passing out and I pressed the emergency button. And then from there I blacked out and I went straight onto the bed. And every time I lifted up my head, like a centimeter, I passed out. And I needed a blood transfusion because I was so low in iron. And that whole journey I envision me looking after my newborn baby and not having a nurse take them away from me. And I had this because the other two children, I always were with them. They were never taken away. So for the nurse to take away my child, I immediately felt like I was a bad parent. Mm -hmm. It was just something in me that I can't do this. I can't have three kids. I can't do that. And I went home with that mentality and then it got so bad that I couldn't look at my child without having terrible thoughts and I spiralled. And I never actually related my postnatal depression to the scenario that I actually had in the hospital. And I think that if I had have had the help earlier on, like you're saying, just book in to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist postpartum because, hey, what's the worst that can happen? Sit there and go, I'm actually feeling pretty good. You just don't know. You don't know what's going to come out in a session. You never know. Yeah. And you can go to your GP and get a mental health plan. Like, you know, if it's something that you can't really afford and have all of those sessions ready to go booked in. I had one two weeks post-birth, could have had one even one week post-birth and it was the best thing I could have done. And I knew that I was going to need that. So I was like all over it. And how have you guys avoided not like using your two different experiences as a positive rather than a comparison. I think we're so quick with other mothers in the community to compare our journeys with them, let alone when it's in the same household. Like how do you not go, oh, Bella's birth was easier so she's a better birther she's or Mo's better <laughs> at this? Well, um, I don't think we've I've ever had a moment. Oh, there was of- one moment. I wanted a coffee so I said, I got cut. You didn't <laughs> make me coffee. <laughs> And you can use that for 18 years. (laughs) I know. I was like, well, I think the only wins. Yeah. So I I need a coffee. We have so much empathy for each other that like there wasn't even that moment. And I think because I went first, every time she's come to me with one of her struggles rather than me being like, oh, well, I went through this. I'm like, bite your tongue. You've been through this. You know what it feels like to be in her position. Let her say her piece. Like we both came out of the room this morning and she's like, oh, can you take it for five minutes? I've had a horrible night. I was like, I fucking horrible night too. (laughs) And you just have to like sit back and realize that, you know, there's no need to compare. We're both going through the same thing. Like we might open up our marriage for a third wife. (laughs) (laughs) One tip we can give the kids to back. You didn't do anything last night, so it's all yours. You're onto something. That, that doesn't need to be a wife. That can just be child parenting. You don't. You don't need to bring the complexities of an extra yeah. wife into Obviously, that. I'm glad we talked this out with you because now you know it's just better idea. 
Now, the most exciting thing was when we spoke to Bella that you were going to breastfeed your, both your children. So you both would be breastfeeding. Did that end up eventuating? Sure did. That was another reason why we wanted kids close together because I wanted to make sure that I was still breastfeeding for um, our next one. And another amazing experience to be able to share with Mo and coach her through it. Like I remember when Sophia came out, I had my midwife, you know, like helping me latch on and getting the nipple in. And then when Ahi came out, it was time for Mo's first feed. I was like, let me at it. And like got him straight on and was able to be that person for her, which was super special. And also I was like, oh, I can't wait for her to realize how fucking hard breastfeeding is. And she comes out and she's like the biggest natural, barely had sore nipples, ridiculous amounts of milk. And I'm just like, no getting that. Yeah, no <laughs> And just absolutely nailing it. I'm like, I'm not really going to get what I wanted out of this. Yeah. Well, honestly, like that's, that's where I'm like, breastfeeding is easy. But you had a good teacher. <laughs> no, it's just because I haven't yeah, had, right. had the challenges yet. But it just shows everyone has, you know, their parts that they find challenging and everyone has their parts that they breeze through. I take that back, guys. I know people take things, what I say sometimes, literal. Breastfeeding is oh, no, not no, no. easy. It is not easy. <laughs> I think easy. that was clearly is, a joke. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's exhausting. But for me, I just like, yeah, he's on, he drinks, he's off. And all of the lessons that we've learned through my experience if we were timing feeds and like doing all that crazy stuff that makes you feel so anxious like we knew like the midwife would come into the hospital and be like how long would you feed for I was like I don't know and I don't care like he's fine like, mm, like yeah. just yeah you know so I didn't have like she had that comfort and ease from me knowing what we've been through to like just trust herself mm. and that's one thing I said to her I was like you know what you're doing your body knows what you're doing listen to it and you'll be fine and how soon after Ahi was born did you start helping feed as well because was it yeah he, he was like because like I said she needed that time after giving birth and he was on me and he was ready to go like already like crawling to my nipple and I was and like you, you didn't have to wait for milk to come in it no, was there no exactly and I was like well you better get here quickly and make this happen because he's going for it and he's hungry and um so I think it was like first day he was born or second day he was born I, I chucked him on for you know just to have that connection with him and like be able to breastfeed him which was so special and also the magical thing about not giving birth to my second child was I was fully in my right state of mind, not going through post-birth trauma, hormones, anything. So for me, the connection with him was a lot faster than it was with Sphere because I had how interesting. And I was just like, oh my God, I love this kid so much. And it was just that love bomb that everybody talks about. And I was like, maybe there's a love bomb because it's for the part of it's not going through. Yeah, yeah, you've got more energy. Yeah, and I was just and I and I could just be in that space with him and and be able to breastfeed him and that was all I didn't have some nipples and it was just like beautiful and yeah, it was really exciting. But Sphere won't drink for me, yeah. <laughs> she's really? uh, well, yeah, she's she's a, she's a bit we're, more we're established. Really, yeah, yeah. No, but she, she had friends from her sister-in-law, uh, um, um, but she won't drink from him anymore either. But like we're really respectful of it's her choice. If she wants my boob, then she can she can have some milk. But we're not we're not like she's super cheeky though. Like, she's very see, funny. She'll see my breastfeeding the baby. She'll go baby butt. Butt is short for booba. That's what we call it, booba. And she goes baby butt. And then Mo goes, do you want some booba? And she'll go up and like put her mouth over her nipple and go nah. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, this is the moment. This is the uh, yeah. Nothing. Did you ever have fears around? having favorites based on who you birthed or who you were pregnant with 
I have to say that before watching Mo go through it, because I've been in hetero relationships my whole life apart from Mo, that I had never envisioned myself being a mother to a child that I hadn't birthed. So I was, I had that, all of those fears. I was like, oh my God, am I like, what if they don't love me the same? All of this kind of thing. And I think that's why going first was also like a bonus to me. So I didn't have to go through that first. But what was amazing was watching Mo with Sphere. She got rid of all of those fears because I see how connected they are. I see how much she loves her and how much it didn't, it doesn't make a difference like at all in terms of our connections and things like that. So watching Mo with Sphere took away all of that. And that's why I, I, I think if I hadn't had that model that Mo gave me, it would have been a bit more scary, but yeah. And then also the, the experience of having the first child is, you know, your love grows for your baby. Like you're not the same, have that same connection you do on day one as you do like, you know, 18 months down the track. So, and I also have that faith in Ahi knowing that like, you know, that's always going to grow and just get stronger and stronger every day. And I think like for both of my children that I have birthed, even for them, my love for each of them is so different yeah. and one is not greater than the other. It's just I love different quirks about yeah. them and, and they both make me feel a different way And but they both grew in me and were birthed by me but it's still so different. Yeah, and you never had any doubts like ever about whether you were going to love a child that you hadn't birthed or like have that connection. No, they're both equal. They'll always be both equal. Yeah. We were laughing the other day because we were looking on your Instagram and Bella had a photo of herself just in a bikini and what was the comment? Oh, Mo had commented on it saying, I know I said that I wasn't going to be intimate with you for another 10 years, but this photo got me reconsidering. <laughs> that was the other thing that she finally gets now. It's like after you birth, the last thing you want to do is have sex and now she's yeah. like, oh, I get it. Oh, my like, God. Don't touch me. Don't even bother. Coming from your background of being a professional athlete, mm. how have you found this stage of going through postpartum? I mean, I mean, your body has obviously changed. It functions differently. It does different stuff. Has that been hard? It's been, so honestly, like I'm, I'm, I'm glad I have the uh, athlete background because I know when to listen to my body and I know like when my body's saying no especially because like my physiotomy took so long it was to heal. heal like I only just I'm only just started training this week because I only stopped being in pain last week so wow. I was taking Voltaren all the way through because I was in such bad pain I couldn't even sit for weeks and I was also bleeding from what are they from your hemorrhoids? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Which yeah. were yeah. the worst. Like, like the toilet was full of blood. <laughs> and I was like, this, nobody talks You're about like, this. Which hole is that why, coming out of? Why are, are, are people so ashamed or women so ashamed or so frowned upon when they talk about things that are so natural? Um, and and so that was really painful for me as well. So I was just like shit ton of pain and I couldn't train I couldn't walk couldn't even walk so it was really hard for me as somebody that is used to training a lot to be mm. like nothing and I could tell like for me best way I could describe it, it's like it's like having an injury like I've never had an ACL injury like that I've had a PCL injury where no matter what you can't it's not going to work you just have to let it heal and that's just kind of what I came to I was just like you know what 
whatever it needs to heal let it do its thing and when it gets better like do the exercises we just seen a physio who is amazing and then it'll come right and, it, and it's come right so it's i also think so such a different healing experience when you already have a toddler like it was so different for me i could just lie yeah. in there for two weeks with my new baby whereas mo's like gotta get back into mum mode and mm. that's a massive challenge to be a first-time birthing mum but already a second time mum. yeah 100%. that's so true because i feel like a lot of people in that situation they have at least the benefit of having gone through it before but mm. you are you've got that older child but it's your first time but also yeah. with the, yeah. an episiotomy i had one with one of my kids and i after it like post-birth postpartum I looked in the mirror when I was about to have a shower. My my labia, is it my labia? It was so swollen and so long that I actually had to triple take that it was mine. I thought I had a transplant. I didn't know what was going on. And it took days to get that swelling down and the pain to go down. So I like episiotomies are just, you know, you do, you do what you can to get the baby out. But that postpartum period is absolutely no joke at all. And I just like, how do you even go back to work with that? But then people always just, you always just talk about postpartum. Like, oh yeah, it's just postpartum. You'll be right. See you soon. Like it's, you're recovering. Like it's such a big deal. Mentally, physically, emotionally, all the things. Yeah. All the things. Oh, well, you guys are so amazing. I think your story is so incredible and it's re- it's just so, I think couples can relate to one another, but you guys are on a whole nother level. <laughs> and I think so much- you guys relate to each other like and that's why you're so, so close because you share that bond and that's yeah. yeah. Oh, we're, we're married. Yeah. I was like, after this baby, do you want to come live with me though? Like, <laughs> I promise our relationship is slightly different. Um, we've gone a little longer without being intimate, I can assure you. But, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, is there you. any, I just think the way that you can relate to one another is so cool and I think so mm. much can be learnt from it. So if you have any last little bits of ways that we can, I guess, understand anything our partners are going through more that would be awesome I think if you're the partner of someone giving birth whatever they ask for whatever they needed in birth give it to them and whatever they say to you don't take it to heart but I also have a whole new sympathy for birthing partners because I was that day like that was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through and I've given birth like that was to watch her go through that and have to be on and we didn't have anyone like we had my mum there for my birth as well so one extra support person but it was just Mo and I during hers and that was full on just be gentle like if you've got somebody that's giving birth just be gentle whatever they want and whatever they need during pregnancy and postpartum just be understanding and give give it somewhere even if you don't understand it just be understanding I also think like talking is the best and greatest thing that you can do in your relationship no matter what you're doing it's like she talks so much (laughs) talking and listening we never talk (laughs) she's always like so do you want to talk about stuff I'm like no the most most, most, like shut down be silent talk about it tomorrow and I was like you need to discuss this with me like and it's it's every day is a work and just because we've experienced the same thing doesn't mean that we don't have the same struggles as everybody else because we do and we go through this and like you know the same things that everybody do and that's with two people that have been through the same experience oh shit you know what i'll tell people to do okay i'll tell them if you're gonna have (laughs) a baby (laughs) you're gonna have a baby make time for each other after your breath always and how do you do that that's one thing we didn't do. We didn't prioritize for ourselves because we didn't make time for each other. How do we do that? We do that at the end of, so at six o'clock, we both go bath 
one child each. No, we bath the babies. Yeah, yeah, but we bath them. The, we, we put them down, and then we meet at about eight o'clock once they're both asleep with chocolate, and we watch oh. trashy TV, oh, and we oh, catch up. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> and we catch up. Well, we have a conversation. We might even talk for only five minutes, but those five minutes yeah. are like our happiest minutes, five minutes of the day. So and you just make time. We know that things will return to normal. Like it's not going to be forever. Like. Yeah. If Mo's in charge, it's a five-minute chat. If Bella's in charge, <laughs> it's an hour and 35. <laughs> if Mo's in charge, skip the chat. Skip the no chat. <laughs> but, Belle, the but, Belle, I love what you actually said about having some respect for the non-birthing partner too because yeah. I think that we can empathise that it's a freaking hectic day or more for them without taking away what the birthing yeah. parent is going through. And sometimes I do think of Nick and I'm like, I don't envy the fact that that you actually went through those experiences completely stone cold sober yeah. with no hormones going through you, watching your wife go through mm. that. And that doesn't take away what I did. No, not at all. But There's it's still hectic. Yeah. And there has to be an understanding of that. And going through, I was like, oh, my God, when am I going to sleep again? Like, this is it. It's over. <laughs> okay, I was like, how do I recover from, like, not sleeping all night to going home to my toddler to being there for my wife oh my to breastfeeding my newborn? And I was I like, told you guys, you're talking a lot. <laughs> oh god, that's what we got you on. Yeah, exactly. I'm allowed to. <laughs> but do you think both of you being able to breastfeed is more efficient, or do you think oh, it's, it's made more so much better? Problems? And also because I had so much anxiety about leaving Sphere because I would never miss a feed and never get a bottle, never pumped. I was there for everything. She's been able to like go and get her hair done, or go and do some work stuff, or go to an appearance, and like I don't substitute his major feeds because I don't have that kind of milk or supply for him anymore but for comfort like I don't know how to parent without breastfeeding so I don't know how to put my child to sleep without I don't know how to like make them feel weird without me now to give them boobs so to be able to do that for my son has made again the whole transition seamless because it hasn't hasn't been a different experience for the kids yeah and the reason why I like it is because eventually in a couple of months I'm going to say hey Belle I'm going out here's the baby (laughs) no that's great I love that you're like I don't know how to parent without the boob once they can talk then you guys can talk yeah. Belle yeah. then you guys can talk to your heart's content but yeah. until then just put a tit in there yeah, exactly. she's talking now and it's just the best like oh my gosh it's the cutest thing ever Oh, you Most guys like are such legends. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, guys. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.